Hey there, this is Whitney Peak with the Launch Podcast, where I'm asking entrepreneurs how they started their ventures from the ground up, where they made mistakes, and ultimately how they pivoted or iterated to make it all work. Making mistakes creates experience, and when those experiences meld together, work to make more successful ventures as long as entrepreneurs are taking the time to learn all along the way. I want to help us understand how entrepreneurs make those decisions all along their journey and use those pivotal moments of failure to learn or what we might call fail up to ultimately create successful businesses. Today's guests are Mama Razik and Austin Murad. Mama has been working on his business level across since I met him as a student in 2016. And Austin has been working on his original business, Put Dots, since I met him a bit before that time as well. After they met in an entrepreneurship class at Western Kentucky University, uh, these two joined forces on Level Lacrosse, and now they have a very exciting launch and pre-sale going on for their company, which is focused on lacrosse technology and sports improvement solutions. Welcome to the launch, Mama and Austin. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today. So you guys have a unique story. I interviewed a, another student earlier today. Uh, a former student from Murray State, but you guys are unique because uh, I know Mommer has been my student. I think Austin and I just had a lot of interaction, but you were both students here at WKU around 2016-2017, met in class, and then became um, business partners, uh, despite the fact that you clearly hate one another. So if you wouldn't care, take a second and talk to me about your journey, uh, where you started, and how you are evolving to the point you're at now. Mommer, how do you want to start this, buddy? You want to go first? You can kick it off. What's that said, You're welcome to kick it off. All righty. Um, yeah, so I guess my story kind of starts way back, you know, when even before college and everything else, I was all into baseball, and it was, it was my only, my goal, my passion, everything was to go pro, and everything seemed great. Um, ended up getting scholarship to college, and, um, it was actually to Western and ended up losing that over an injury. So uh, sports and competitiveness and, you know, just kind of pushing myself uh, by myself has always been something that I've kind of held, you know, my, my head high on. So after, you know, the injury and everything else, I needed something to fill that competitive itch and I got into golf. Uh, well, turns out I actually got pretty good pretty quick and uh, being, you know, uh, I guess a, a son to a father who came to the United States from, you know, the time he was 17 by himself, not even speaking English. He had to just make ends meet and um, he had to do what he had to do to be creative and, and, you know, make a living for himself so that the creativity was always instilled in me. And a part of me was like, I think I can do some good for this industry. Um, and where I'd gotten pretty good, I picked up a lot of tips and tricks. So my idea was to create a golf training aid um, and bring it to the mass market. So that's what I did. It all started with, you know, prototyping and everything. And the idea actually came from an accident. Um, it was, I was in my room putting one day, just trying to figure it out. And uh, I'm not sure the listeners, if they golf or not, but with a mallet head cover, you actually put it on backwards and, and take the, the flap and pull it over the face of the product or over the putter. And it creates this bend on the putter face from the fabric and I was just hitting it back in the corner of my room and I ended up hitting one off the toe and it bounced way left and it went off the hill and it kicked way right. And 
So at this point, I thought, you know, that was some really nice feedback, but how could I incorporate that into a product? And, you know, after doing some, you know, just kind of messing around sketches, uh, I, I took what I knew about negative feedback and how as a child, you know, that can really help you uh, create subconscious actions, et cetera. This is really just fast forwarding through the story just to kind of give you a quick snippet. But basically, that's what my product does. It's called Putt Dots. And it's two angled dots uh, that come pre-centered and pre-aligned on a peel-away applicator. Uh, on the applicator, you have an alignment aid on there. So you align it to the center line of your putter or top line. Uh, once you wax or you peel the wax paper off, you just apply it to the face, uh, press on both dots adhering them, and you rip the applicator away. Uh, once you do that, you're ready to rock and roll. Uh, the idea of the product is to consistently hit the center of the face. When you lose focus on the product, you actually uh, create a hiccup in your stroke and you could possibly hit one of the two dots, giving you an immediate visual feedback, sound and feel feedback. And what this does is like burning your hand on a stove as a child. It's a very negative reaction. It kicks it away from the hole and it gives you a completely different feel than what you're used to. So what it does, your body creates these subconscious um, mechanics to fit whatever you're comfortable with to deliver a square putter uh, face towards your intended line. And that's, that's the product in a nutshell that gets you kind of point, you know, A to Z in, in a very quick, I'm sure we're going to dive more in depth, but I'll let Mommer take it from here just to kind of catch you up and then we'll get more into detail, I'm sure. Yeah. So it's a, it's a similar story. Um, my parents and I were refugees of this country back in 97. So when we came, we didn't really have much growing up and it was, you know, there was one thing that transcended all that and it was always sports. Um, so for me, it was always, you know, playing sports, basketball, soccer, whatever it was. And then I had a friend move down from New York. I think it was in my sixth or seventh grade year, gave me my first lacrosse stick. I picked it up and then I never really put it down. So I played all throughout high school, college, and it was a sport that always really stuck with me. And, and things that I'd like to do and always wanted to do, it's always how can I get better? How can I improve or how can I make it better? And lacrosse was one of those things. Um, Playing in Bowling Green, Kentucky is definitely not one of the hotbeds for lacrosse. So it was hard to get out there and get in front of coaches and, and scouts and be able to be seen. Um, I was lucky enough to be scouted by a, a decent amount of colleges. And I realized there, there needed to be a better way to disseminate you know, skills and talent out into, um, out into the lacrosse world. So it got me thinking what, on what I could do. Um, and in college, I started breaking apart a Wii remote, uh, playing around with it, seeing if I could get the, the motion sensors to pick up my lacrosse motions and see if I could get any measurable data from that. And uh, ended up working. I ran with the idea. Um, and unfortunately, the last three or four years, we've been working on the idea and it has not taken off. So we've had to pivot. And that actually brings us to where we are today. So I actually remember the first time I read your description. Mommer was in my online class and for a feasibility analysis wrote about this process of taking the Wii remote apart uh, and creating the feeder from it. And I just, my mind was blown. I so rarely in a class like that come across students who've done something like tech savvy or a, a tech related um, project. And it just, I thought this is going to go somewhere. And obviously it did. You I mean, you won the Idea State U Kentucky competition for it. You went to national competitions and performed really well. Um, so how did you learn that it wasn't working? I mean, obviously, you got a lot of positive feedback about it. When you went to competition, people thought it was going to work. So 
how did you how did you really learn that it wasn't going to work well, in its current or in its earlier format? That's a great question, and I would say the biggest thing that has made it not work is just the tech environment. Um, tech moves and changes so quickly, so we've gotten to a point where we felt comfortable with what we had, the product was ready, but unfortunately, COVID hit, and this all happened in the last what six months. Um, so about late December, early January, our supplier that we were working with sent us a note that, hey, due to the pandemic, um, we're going to have to kind of shutter things down for a little bit and just kind of see where we land. And a few months after that, in late January, early February, we got a note from that same supplier that said, hey, actually, we're just going to be end up being sold to a, another company in order to stay afloat. And that company isn't going to be replacing any of the boards or any of the items that we had um, designed and ready. So what it came down to was the tech had already advanced so far within the last two or three years we had, even though we had this product that we thought was ready to work, ready to be released. um, The advancement was so hard for us to keep up with that when this change happened, we essentially had to start from scratch. We had to redesign our board. We had to redesign all of our layouts, work with new components, do a lot of more engineering and testing. um, And at that point, it was four years in and it was February of... 2020 and it was a it was a real uh gut punch because it's like all right this product we've been working on for years we thought we were ready to launch and somehow it's already obsolete we didn't keep up with the uh, technology and the change of technology um fast enough and we learned that very quickly when we were ready thought we were ready to launch so we were back to the drawing board but with that we didn't want to just kind of be stuck um you know up a creek we wanted to figure out what else we could do, what we could launch, and how we could um, how we could work on some of these other items that we had in the pipeline, um, and just had ideas on and how we could bring those to life in a, in a quick and efficient manner. So, if you guys don't care, um, t- how did you arrive at your new product line? What does that business model look like? Where does it focus? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So, um, we arrived at the new product line honestly um, through some sheer will and determination through our team. Uh, we were all pretty devastated when this happened and we couldn't launch the feeder. Um, so we honestly spent about two days just coming up with ideas, thinking, what can we do? What are some pain points? We did a lot of research, came with a bunch of ideas. Um, and then in a span of six months, we identified three products that we thought were going to be, um, were going to be something that would make an impact not only in the lacrosse world, but into other sports as well. Uh, so what we did was we came up with a few prototypes, Austin, myself, and some of the other members of the team um, sketched out some ideas, talked through them, and tried to figure out, hey, is this something that could work? When we thought we had uh, some ideas, we were able to you know, do some research, see what the feedback was out there, look at the market size, see if it made sense from a business perspective. Um, and then the ones that we identified that could make sense, we actually ended up creating um, working prototypes ourselves. And that just involved, you know, hey, let's go pick up stuff at Lowe's. Let's start cutting things down, breaking things apart, putting things together and seeing if this actually works. Um, so essentially creating an MVP for us. And we did that. We tested it and it worked. And we got some good initial feedback from people we had talked to about it. Um, and at that point, it was, all right, we've been doing this for four years. We want to launch something, wanted to do it. Probably could have taken a little bit more time to... Um, refine our our message and our branding and how we want to go to market. But after working on something for so long, we were just all chomping at the bits to launch something into the marketplace. So we did take a few shortcuts and it was necessary for us in our situation um, as far as how many people we interviewed and and how much um, we iterated on our product. 
but the product that we got and the supplier that we were able to find from a go-to-market strategy perspective was great. And having the supplier and a, a partner that can work with us on our ideas and adjust them as we need to and make them work has just been phenomenal. That is, uh, that's how we've been able to, you know, in six short months, go from no concept to three concepts, quickly testing, creating prototypes, doing research, and then asking some people for their opinions and feedback and adjusting it based off that. And I would like to note in there with that, Mommer, is that uh, you'd mentioned a few shortcuts and I wouldn't necessarily, it, like you said, they were necessary, but we also had the the years prior to that, we had the prior knowledge, we had, you know, the connections, the, and the skills to take those and make an educated move. Um, so with that being said, you know, with our kind of know-how manufacturing and, and, and creating and actually making that, you know, that, that minimal bio product and kind of moving forward on what we think will, will work. We had the, the know-how beforehand. Um, if you are getting into something, make sure that you don't kind of, you take that with a grain of salt and you just don't jump head over heels and you right. know what you're getting into. And I would say um, if you're making a consumer-based product, your partner, your supplier, your manufacturer, whatever what word you want to use for them is just as important as your product itself. If you're not going to be the one hand making all of these products and doing it and doing uh, or doing anything like that, and you need to process in order to be able to ramp and scale, the partner that you find is going to be a huge uh, factor in this. We interviewed within two or three months when we were trying to source um, source suppliers that could do what we wanted to do. We interviewed, I think, eight or ten different manufacturing partners, um, and these weren't by no means any any just random off the wall shelf uh, suppliers that you would find. Our suppliers work, and the ones that we've interviewed work with huge companies like Nike, Under Armour, some other big names in um, in the lacrosse world and in the sporting world, and the hard part is getting on their radar since they are working with these big companies. It's, Hey, I have this really cool product. I think you could help me with it, but I need you to sell me on your capabilities as much as I need to sell you on what my product is and how we can work together because having a good partner and in a, in a product oriented world is huge because whenever we had feedback from either potential clients that we showed this to, or from our product testing that we did or coaches that we took the product to, we want to be able to incorporate that. And in order to incorporate that, we had to find a partner who was able to meet our uh, meet our design needs, change things quickly on the fly. Because we're we're a lean team, right? We're a small startup. It's all bootstrapped. We're trying to do this very quickly and efficiently and effectively. So whenever we do these tests, we want to be able to just shoot a note over to our supplier, say, "Hey, here's what we found. Here's our results. Here's what we need to change. Can you do it?" And so I'm curious, I've got a couple of things. Austin, I know you've had some real trouble with suppliers on putt dots. And did you think that really helped inform this process better when you started working with Mommer? Yeah. Um, you know, with that being said, it was all bouche. It was like, hey, let's just, I mean, I can speak for Mommer on this too. I mean, manufacturing is, is a different beast, especially for, you know, for anybody it's like it's it's a very daunting task to find somebody so um for me personally i can say that i should have done better research knowing now um on manufacturers on um you know reputation whatever but i was thrown a bone um you know I, i had connections to get to that and at that point because um just like mar with the with the product idea everything we i was ready to rock and roll within you know 
three months, I went through hundreds of just minor designs. And, and unlike, you know, with, with level across, we, my product is, it's a single product, you know, it's a single product company and it, and it's very small. So for me, I'm working with very, very micro, um, uh, measurements and, you know, using calipers and everything and the material isn't something that is easily controlled. So with that being said, manufacturing was just a, a storm waiting to happen um, for somebody that had to, you know, personally educate themselves on tolerances and design specs and different, um, you know, pieces of the manufacturing process from the tooling side, everything. I mean, when, when you can't talk the talk and walk the walk, you just kind of you just go with it. Honestly, I sometimes still I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And you just gotta, you just got to figure it out and you're going to make mistakes on the way. Um, I may do with what I had. I got to market. I've had success with it and the product just works. And, and that was that was the, the point for it. Um, it's like I said, it's just two angled dots that come pre-centered and pre-aligned on the, the peel away applicator. And it's um, I wish, you know, you guys listening to this could see it. Um, maybe we could all redo this or we can get some pictures of it. Actually, you can check it out or you can just check it out at Putt Dots on Instagram or go to the website, puttdots.com and just kind of view it for yourself. Uh, but it's a very small product and dealing with that and tolerances and going through that from the manufacturing standpoint um, with creating contract, it was, it was an absolute nightmare. Um, so going, you know, back to that point, do your research. Um, you know, I, like I said, I should listen to myself now about it, but I could have probably found somebody a little bit better. But I got from point A to point Z and I, I'm here and I got the product done regardless. And, it, and it's a great product and it does what it's supposed to do. Uh, moving forward, uh, you can always pivot. You can always move suppliers and figure it out. Uh, but just getting from, you know, idea to concept to, to actual something tangible was the hardest part. And sometimes when, when they dangle that, Hey, we can do this for you, but they make it seem all fine and dandy. Just make sure that they're qualified and have the capabilities and just don't dive straight into it quite like I did. And I'm curious. So, I mean, you guys have both had experience negotiating your way into suppliers and mom, or you were mentioning, you guys were interviewing suppliers who supplied tremendously larger companies. So as a fresh startup, how did you negotiate even getting in to talk to someone with those suppliers? Uh, knocking on a lot of doors virtually and essentially just begging and pleading like, hey, trust me, this is a good idea. Um, and there was a little bit more science behind that, right? So I had to do a lot of analysis on the market and why this made sense from a financial perspective and how this could work. And what you really need to do is, yes, the business case is important, but you need to sell yourself and the idea to the supplier um, to let them know, okay, we're going to make an investment because that's what they're doing. They're making an investment in you and your process and your product, but more so you and being able to bring this to life and th for them to know that if we're going to work with this individual on this product, they're not just going to up and leave or we're going to provide them the product and nothing's going to happen. They want to know that that's somebody that they can work with. Um, it's a product that they can believe in and it's a person they can believe in and trust to go make it successful in whatever marketplace they're launching. Exactly. The, the relationships are, are worth more than just about anything. And the, so 
I'm assuming you just had to do a lot of cold calling yeah. or were you able to leverage prior connections? Um, not on the manufacturing side. Cause this, what we were manufacturing was so different um, than anything that existed out there in the marketplace. Uh, it didn't exist. It was a brand new process. And so some of the suppliers we sent the idea to, they were just like, no, we can't do this. This is too crazy or this is too stupid. You shouldn't do it. It's going to cost <laughs> too much money. Um, and honestly, it was just cold calling, getting in front of people, sending emails, getting in t- contact with them, having discussions and, and walking them through some of our design files and engineering files and saying, hey, here's how this works. Here's how we've tested it. Here's the, the prototype that I've built. Um, and then it's, you know, finding out the details from there, but it's being able to show them that you've done some of the legwork and that this can work. It's just, Hey, I just need somebody that can build this out, uh, in order to make this scalable. And so, um, now you're taking pre-orders. How is that looking? And, um, is that given additional confirmation to your manufacturer that this is really workable? It has. So the biggest thing we align, we've been pretty transparent with our manufacturer, probably more so than, um, most companies are with their suppliers or manufacturers. The reason being is I've talked about how manufacturers make an investment in you. We've made a significant significant investment in our manufacturing process and building this thing out and making sure we have the all the molds built, the technology to be able to do it. And honestly, the manufacturer that we found believes in our product. They've tested it. They work with it. They love it that they've made investments themselves into improving the product. Like they're, they're at the point now where they're sending us like, Hey, I recommend you doing this. This is how it'll improve it. Or here's what else we can do. So I can see that they have a similar passion that they've bought into it. So we're able to really work collaboratively on, on this um, and really make the product the best it can be before it launches. So when we were getting ready to launch, we let them know, Hey, here's our mission. Here's exactly how we're going to do it. Here's what we want to talk about with the product. Um, we already had an order in place um, with uh, with our supplier as far as how much product we were going to get on our initial um, order. And the pre-orders, and we say this to anyone, so it's not really any trade secrets, but the pre-orders were mainly a marketing campaign for us. Um, our products scheduled to arrive in October will be launched fully uh, scalable and functional, but our team was just so excited to get the product launched that we wanted to be able to create a really cool campaign, tell people about our products and start getting the word out. Because you don't build a brand overnight, right? It takes time, um, no matter what kind of content you create, no matter how cool your videos are, in order to get it in front of people, it's going to take some time for people to find you for that word of mouth to start spreading. Um, We've been very successful um, in the lacrosse and the sports community. We've had a lot of uh, great views, follows, and interactions. We've, I just checked this morning, we've passed over 250,000 impressions, 150,000 profile views. Um, We've reached uh, somewhere in that near 100,000 mark as well as profiles too, which is telling us that the people that are seeing this, they're engaging with the content. Not only are they engaging with it, they're coming to our profile multiple times. They're interacting with it. They're sending us messages. They're liking our pictures. Um, So it's working really well. And then again, in tandem, it's been really successful and cool to see on the pre-order side. We have a few things that are available right away. So we've had a lot of people order shirts and clothing and different apparel that we have on there. We have people that have pre-ordered our, our rebounder or our lacrosse sticks. And um, it's just cool to see, though, um, that even before a product's launched and a customer can get in a few days that, hey, you know, this looks cool. You've sold me on it. I want to go ahead and reserve mine. That's amazing. And um, so I keep hearing this recurring theme anytime I talk to folks. You, you guys kept talking about learning, like becoming the expert on whatever it is you are negotiating at that moment. And the critical nature of networks and how important it is, both who you know and who knows you. Um, Austin, I remember a story you told me a long time ago 
about going to the, I think it was the PGA show. Is that correct? Where um, I would love for you to share that story and how you were able to get in front of so many people during that. Okay. Yeah. So this is, this is a funny one. So, I mean, I'm not sure if the listeners know much about the PGA show or or trade shows in general, but this is uh, the largest trade show in our industry. Um, It's at the uh, Orlando convention center. I mean, it's absolutely massive. Um, I mean, I forget how many thousands and thousands of people come through there. Well, this kind of goes back on, you know, just piggybacking the situation and going through it. So I made the investment as far as the flight, the hotel to get there. And you could buy a five foot by five foot booth to actually be there and, you know, promote your product, et cetera. However, that was a very significant investment. It was going to be about $6,500 or $7,000 just for the, the 10 square foot of space there. I mean, or whatever it comes out to be. Um, it is not much, the five foot by five foot. So that was no chairs, no nothing, absolutely no branding. And that's that's not even enough space for me to set up a, a, a chair to, to do business deals and a little putting area for the people to test out the product. Because I mean, why would you invest into a product or buy some or bring it into your store if you don't even, you know, you can't see the the value in it. So I saved my money because like in total, if I was going to do that, it was going to probably be grand scheme about 17 grand to, to go there and promote it and just have my own little space. So what I did was I just went there by myself, um, put a backpack on, branded out the backpack, you know, big bold letters, putt dots. And I made myself a walking billboard at that time. And I said, ask me about putt dots. Um, you know, and I, I was just, I got pulled left and right from suppliers, buyers, et cetera. And just, I was able to go to them and they saw the hustle and they respected that. And they gave me enough time a day. Um, you know, everything comes down to how you pitch the product and, and how you, um, you know, hold yourself in front of whoever you're talking to. So if you're not confident, you know, they're going to see that. So just, just fake it until you make it, literally. Um, just put on a face, put on the right clothes and just act until you get where you want to be. So um, going back to the point of just kind of backpacking the whole thing, they have the 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 largest uh, putting green area in there as far as like trade shows and stuff go. So I specifically went to the putting area um, because we are a putting training aid company. I knew people would be around that area to test out new putters, what have you. So when I saw a familiar face, whether it was a, you know, an Instagram with, or an Instagram influencer with, you know, 1.5 million followers, or I saw just this random guy, but I read his badge tag and it said CEO or, um, you know, buyer for, I would just go introduce myself. I had thousand business cards on me and I gave them away, uh, talked to, you know, YouTube influencers ever came over there just to get my name out there. But here's the fact is I made buddy buddy with a booth behind me. It was called lab putters. They bought about $120,000 booth area to promote their products and everything. And it just so happens that the COO um, from the company lives in Nashville. So I got to know him, got to go meet him and everything. And we had talked a little bit prior, but he allowed me to use one of their putters. So I was basically selling for their company while allowing me to promote my product in a slightly you know, more legal way. Because if they saw me utilizing spaces that I didn't pay for, I could have gotten in, in some big trouble. So maybe nobody from there will hear that. <laughs> but 
anyway, I just, I basically just, I be, I'm, I'm a people's person. Like I, I, be, I befriended everybody to the point where they wanted to help me out just as much as I wanted to help them out. And they, they allowed me to use their space just to get in front of people, even though I was a completely different company and I could, I possibly took attention away from their potential buyers. But um, if you can offer somebody else value for, you know, whatever it is you're seeking, like for me, I carried around one of their putters just to show it around. And I got a lot of buyers interested just to go to their booth and talk to them and, and actually brought them about, uh, about 50,000 to $60,000 worth of just purchase orders as different uh, companies came through, which was super awesome. And now they're, they're friends for life and they've invited me back. Um, you know, anytime just to, you know, I think different it's important events. to highlight there but, is no one's going no. to talk about your product or have as much passion as your product or service as you will. Right. So yes, there's an element of sales, but even when we were doing um, any of the idea state you pitches, anyone I talked to, whether it was my idea or someone else's idea, you could see the passion if it's something they really believed in or not, or if they were just doing it to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You right. feed off the situation. Literally, if you're coming in there very enthusiastic, you're like, you know, very excited, but you, you show your love for what you do. Even if it's the worst product ever, you can get somebody to be interested. As long as they know your name, yep. you can create that Agreed. brand. But you guys brought up such a great point too. And, and I've seen this in action with both of you, right? Whenever you're in sales mode and you're talking to people about your product, it's never just about you though. Like Austin, you just gave a great illustration of this. And I've definitely seen Mommer do this at competition. But it's also, what can you do for them? Because if you're able to provide some value for someone else in showcasing their product at the same time or linking them to someone else, then they're much more likely to remember you and to buy into whatever it is 100%. that you're doing. When we were at Idea State U, there was a team right next to my table. Um, I thought, hands down, they were going to win. Uh, they had created a augmented reality in a VR environment um, where they could sell this to companies and the the one that they were using there as an example was um, working on, I think it was AC fans and AC units, something along the lines of fans and fan belts. But you put your uh, VR headset on, you can walk around in this digital environment, and it's a training tool for employers to be able to give people an option to you know get hands-on, quote-unquote, since it's virtual, um, with this product, teach them exactly what they need to do, how it works. And this world that they created looked phenomenal. Uh, super impressed with those guys. And it was at that point, like their booth was getting bombarded with people. I walked over, I started helping them talk about it. Like, hey, here's what they're doing, helping like move people around. And it was a cool product. And then they held, held the same thing. When people were over in my booth, they were letting me know, helping me talk about it, moved around. And it was the same way. Like No matter who you're working with or what the product is and how it is, it's all about working together, right? Because unless you're just an absolute competitor and direct competitor with somebody, it's not really going to matter that much. Um, in the business world, and especially in the small business world, everyone tries to look out for everybody, right? It's We're all working together against the big guys, right? There's, there's a reason there's small companies and there's huge companies. Um, and we're all working towards a common goal. And so just by meeting people and interacting with them, you can have a lot of great discussions, learn a lot from them, and they'll help you out you'll help them out and you build really great relationships that help uh, going forward. Yeah. And like speaking about that to, to what you said, mom, is like when, when, you know, we offer, you know, value to somebody else, they, it's just, it's human nature that you want to yeah. almost repay that in a way. Um, when I was at the, the lab putters booth there, they had probably about 15 or, or 20 
you know, guys out there doing putting fittings, whatever. Well, they all fell in love with the product because they fell in love with me first. Uh, they, they enjoyed it because I was able to promote that in, you know, in a passionate way. They thought it was the, you know, the best thing since slide spread. And at that point I had 20 salesmen for putt dot promoting putt dots, whether I was at the, um, you know, that putting green, or if I was walking around now, doing just one thing floor. I do want to add there you is know? it's a great story and a great example. Um, and I love it. The problem is though, the world that we're in now and how we've launched our product, we don't get the opportunity to do any of that. Um, there's not really any more face-to-face things right now. A lot of sports aren't happening. Some of them started going back, but there's no large scale tournaments or events or anything like that that you can go to. And it has made, it has made it challenging for us because we've had to think about our approach differently. Because again, if it's just Austin and I traveling, um, going to places getting in front of people, we can talk about it and talk somebody's ear off. And then, you know, be like, Hey, you know, this is why you should believe in this and get them to buy into it. But now it's different, right? Now you've got to catch their attention on online through media try to write a good email that they don't immediately delete. Um, so this new world, we're having to learn and adapt and figure out how we can flex in these scenarios and, and have some of those conversations because the way that we've done that in the past has completely changed. And, and you know, to continue to add to that point with this, you know, huge social change and not be able to present it and be, you know, people love a product, but they, they want to see a face behind the brand. Cause I mean, imagine, uh, they, they know that it's an actual person who, who you know, is behind it. Uh, it's, it's hard in today's time to provide that, you know, proof or, or you know, show legitimacy um, behind a screen. It, it's, it's always comes down to, you know, shaking a hand and, you know, showing we're, we're tangible, we're living, we're breathing behind it. So it's hard to, to grow the business without having that, that footwork or personal interaction. It's all social. We just got to, We've got to, you know, provide and show our, uh, you know, our face through that and, and just, you know, create that brand loyalty somewhere else. Everybody, everybody struggles with it. And it's, we're going to have to learn and adapt. You guys have done a great job with your product launch. So your social media is super and all your ads are super aesthetically pleasing. So um, how do, do you guys have someone on your team that specializes in that? Or is that another area where you just had to become experts I fast? I wish we could say that it was us and we became experts fast. Um, but a couple of guys that we have on the team, um, their area of expertise is it's, it's videos, it's production, it's these quality uh, pieces of entertainment. They work with a company or they own a company out of Nashville. Um, and they do a lot of music videos for country music artists, other artists down there. Uh, they do some videos for product videos for uh, bigger companies. Um, and that's kind of how I met them. The company I was working at, we've used them and we've used them in the past uh, to create videos for us. And they've always done really good work. And we ended up just striking up a relationship. You know, we'd go out to dinner whenever we do an event or a video shoot. Um, we ended up talking, we became really good friends. We'd hang out outside of work or outside of these projects. and. You know, they knew what I was working on. Um, I asked them to help me out with a project once uh, for, for a video shoot that we did um, last year. And they liked the product. They liked the vision. And ultimately, and this is something that they've said too, like, hey, we don't know anything about lacrosse, but we know you. We know your passion behind it. We see the vision. And they're like, we'd love to come on board and help you out. So we're able to bring them on board and have them be part of the team. So that way, Everyone that's a part of our level lacrosse team has uh, has their own purpose and their initiatives and um, I would say their area of expertise that they own and drive. We operate in a, in a lean kind of a, a model that way in that there's not really anyone who's making um, the final decision on everything, right? We all, we're all empowered to 
if it's the world that you're focused on and it's the area that you're working on, make any decision. If you, it's something you think is going to work, great, try it. Um, so the two guys for that, Ryan and Jacob, super creative, some of the brightest and most creative guys I've ever met. Whenever they have ideas on how they want to shoot something or if they want to do a video or if they want to create content, they run with it. There's no need for us to have a conversation. There's no need for anyone to approve it and vote on it. We, we're all working towards the same goal. It's a very small company. There's only a few of us, right? And so we want to see it succeed and we're all working towards that. However, we have those ideas and however we get to it, everyone's empowered to do that and try to make those decisions and try to move the company forward because we all know what we want to do. We all know the products. We all, all know the brand. So it's not up to anyone here to be like, no, don't do that because we could be wrong. They could be right. And it's all about just testing the waters and seeing what works and what doesn't. Um, a great example of how they're creative Yesterday, before we launched our official, we had uh, some product photography that we did and launched um, with the website and the products, but we didn't have any real like product photography. And I say that with air quotes because it didn't look super professional, like it was shot in a photo studio or something that you would see like on a Dick Sporting Good page. These guys took the little cross sticks that they had, went into their garage, hung it up with the equipment that they have, and just took it, took pictures against the back of a uh, a garage wall, and it just looked like normal pictures it was, yeah and i've got a great picture where they send it out to the group of how they were doing and i was like i wonder how this is going to turn out they sent us the pictures and some of them are live on our website now and they look like they were professionally done edited the amount of work that they uh, spent into making it look really polished and and the amount of time it took for them to do that is the reason we kind of operate in that lean model and how we do is I would have never had that idea. It would have taken more time for them to ask me and do all this, that, that, and the other. And it's really about, hey, you've got this, do it. We'll figure it out. So you like, oh, sorry. I was going to say like in a, in a team and a collaborative effort, it really helps that, I mean, yes, it's good to have somebody take the lead as if like, this is Bomber's company and he's, you know, brought us all on for a specific purpose, but he allows us to have creative freedom and, you know, and it's not almost like a dictatorship. He allows us to operate as if we were in his position in our own aspect. And it's, it's all the example so it's I've used with my guys is this is like the TV show. I think I remember what it was called, but I think it was like three guys and a baby, right? We all are caring for this one baby and trying to have it grow. It doesn't matter who's doing it. It's like numbers or numbers, ownership and how that works out. But that is not really what matters. We all own this company. We're all working towards the same goal. We want to see it succeed. So I am by no means here to tell them no, tell them yes. It's they're empowered to do whatever they want with our marketing team, with our product team, and with our creative and sales team. Like it's however they want to operate and do it, then I'm, I'm fine with. I trust the guys wholeheartedly to be able to do that. Um, and there's no reason I should have any doubts as far as the quality of the work that they do. And I think that's just shown uh, shown paramount here in, in how we had our product launch and what they've been able to pull together. Well, that's all about trusting your partners and choosing the right ones to start with. Uh, and also... I, you know, this goes back, I'm an economist by training, so I can't but think about specialization, right? You know what each of you are subject matter expert in and letting people stay in their lane and do their thing. So that's incredible. Yeah, 100%. Our marketing team just came to me yesterday with a proposal and an initial idea of, hey, we want to start doing TikTok campaigns. And that's where people are going. I don't have the slightest or faintest idea about TikTok or how all that works and if it's valuable. But I'm like, if that's what you guys think is worth it, then go for it. Because um, again, I am by no means an expert in any of this. Uh, part of having a small business and running a small business is you're really not the expert in anything. You're constantly learning, you're constantly growing, and you're constantly evolving because the second you think you're an expert at something, it changes. 
right? You've got to learn it all over again. You've got to adapt based off your business needs and what's happening at that time. So for me, it's, I need to make sure my team is empowered to do whatever it is that they want to do and whatever the project it is that they're working on. And it's up to them to execute it, right? So I'm here to tear down any barriers, provide uh, guidance, feedback, and then the products and the ideas, anything I can help with. But for me, it's being able to empower them in order to go and do whatever it is that they want, whatever they think will make us successful. So um, this is my last question for you guys, but what's next? What's, what's on your radar? What are you pursuing? So we've got our products that are coming in. They're arriving here in the next couple of weeks um, that we'll be launching, but we're all working collaboratively. We've actually shot a commercial. Um, I would call it as a Nike-esque or Under Armour-esque quality commercial. So we're all working on building a, um, a marketing campaign, how to roll this out uh, to have a really big impact. But it's at that point when we do that, it's really just sell, 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 right? We want to make sure we get our, it's almost um, the holiday season. So we have to start thinking creatively of how we can sell our products, how we can use marketing assets to send some of our products out to people for reviews and things like that. Um, and how we can build a brand and start getting into retail stores and start getting some local shops that don't have lacrosse equipment that might want to, right? So it's, it's really start how we can start expanding our brand and how we can start growing our market share. Uh, because what's interesting is, yes, we have the lacrosse stick, and that's one of our main products. But the rebounder that we launched is something that we're uh, having to have uh, overcome interesting challenges because we're not just marketing the lacrosse world, right? We've designed this in a way that it can be used for essentially any sport with a ball. So basketball, you can throw off there. Baseball, our shooting target, you can use for lacrosse or to work on some of your golf swings. So we're really trying to think through how we can market all of these products uh, in, in a 360 way through someone that might not necessarily be our initial target audience. Because when we started this, there's a reason we call it Level Across. We were focused on lacrosse, and we're now worked to expand to where we're more of a sports manufacturing, uh, a sporting goods manufacturing company where it's, we're helping everyone, um, and we're trying to do really cool things and make it affordable and uh, efficient for everyone there too. So it's, it's really, I think, in my mind, and also I'll let you jump in, but our focus is going to be on growing the brand and growing our message and then hopefully having a lot of people buy our stuff. Exactly. And, uh, you know, with putt dots as of right now, uh, it's pretty steady. Just kind of stay on top of, you know, marketing and, and you know, keep it pushing forward. Uh, the golf training aid business is a, is a very, very weird business to be in. And, and as a specific customer, um, you know, we've we've found our target market. We found, you know, relationships. And it's at that point now where um, we do get, you know, consistent orders in and everything. So when I'm when it's ready to scale you know, we can push it forward if we need to dial it back. And, you know, uh, you know, we can always do that. But uh, being a part, uh, you know, being a part of the level across team at this point, it's, it's definitely taking a lot of time and um, a lot of collaborative effort with everybody else. That way we can get it off the ground going. And, you know, this is, you know, back to, you know, where we completely started this whole thing, you know, me and mom are meeting, meeting in a classroom. We had, you know, we didn't know anybody, you know, didn't know each other, you know, from Adam and, uh, we've created this relationship where we've even talked about, um, you know, pushing this and, and, you know, putting possible, you know, pud dots and level across under, under the same, uh, you know, umbrella and, and taking this partnership and, and you know, um, our community that we have to the next level and, you know, possibly even being that next big brand and, you know, only the future holds, but I know that, uh, you know, our team, we have, we have the ability to do something insane. And I think that we're well on our way. So, so maybe level across is a, a 
business under it's level a, filled or yeah, something. <laughs> so, the, the problem we've had with that is a lot of the names that you would think of as like a holding company or as a as a larger brand that has these subsidiaries underneath it. A lot of those have already been mm-hmm. taken. Uh, it's like, how do you come up with something that resonates and that sounds good? Cool? Have any okay. ideas or, or want to ask your class? We'll give them a dollar. Okay, we can we can add that in. But uh, you guys, everything you've spoken about has been so relevant to you know what we cover in our entrepreneurship courses, and um, it just gives a real flavor to what is actually happening behind the scenes. I think it's so tempting for people to see like your release and think that you were just always working towards that, but to hear the real and honest stories behind how these things were developed and how they advance and the mistakes that were made and the curveballs that were thrown, I think is really helpful for people to hear. Um, so I, I truly appreciate your time and sharing this um, with our students. Well, of course. Thanks for having yeah, us. No, absolutely. And uh, I'm, I'm sure I can speak for mom or his time probably is taking up a little bit more than mine, uh, you know, tied up with conversations during the day, especially with his job now, but I'm more than happy uh, to answer any questions anybody ever has. So they're more you know welcome to reach out to me and, if they need to help, you know, refining a product or, or anything like that, that's my that's my hobby. I like to create things and invent things and, and, you know, create the most raggedy prototype as long as we can get proof of concept. That's my fun. So um, if anybody has any questions, I'm more than happy to help out. Thanks so much for listening to Austin and Mommer's journey here on The Launch with me, your host, Whitney Peak. Tune in for our next episode on anchor.fm slash the launch, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you listen.